0: HMP.
1: And good afternoon. Thank you for joining us on this Friday afternoon. I want to say hello to Dan. What's happening, Buzz? How oh, are you? Got good plans for the weekend. Uh-huh. Got a friend You're gonna miss up. me tomorrow though, right? I'm gonna miss you. I invited you to join us at the Drake for a wonderful concert um, uh, that uh, and be, that preceded by a nice dinner together and used rejected me uh, and i'm buzz. still wounded
2: i hope you're wounded until monday <laughs>
1: <laughs> until monday i just don't get enough of you Dan. I, know, I know monday through friday you know we're just gonna have to do seven days a week here there you go. Uh, on and the afternoon and then, uh, yeah so that's saturday have a nice uh, dinner plan somebody's coming over tonight and very sunday, nice work 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 outside very nice oh going out with some friends tomorrow uh tonight and uh sunday as well so you know gonna enjoy this warm weather because it's starting to feel
3: like the summer is wrapping up. And it's not wrapped up, but it's starting to feel like it's going to come together sooner. But I just read that between now and the end of November
1: is going to be exceptionally warmer than usual. So, can't complain too much. Everything you read has to be true when it comes it does. to the weather. I know that's the case. But the... <laughs>
0: and it's not raining either.
1: <laughs> Listen, <laughs> before I, you know, I will be turning it over. I'm always anxious to hear what this week's good thing is uh, with Jeff Napolitano. I think we're going to be talking to, introduce to, Sean Donovan. Um, we're setting up a community care department here in Northampton. But before that, I would like to just do a little remembrance. Um, and I'm actually stealing from Brian Murphy's piece in the Washington Post this morning, if anyone saw it, uh, about Sebastian Graber. <laughs> and I am going to read because I tried to summarize it and I can't do any better than Brian did. So I'll just read the, First portion of his piece. Around noon on March 17th, 1980, a woman walked onto the sidewalk in front of the United States Supreme Court building. She carried a four-foot sign with the text of the First Amendment. Within minutes, a court police officer told her that she had to leave or be arrested, saying it was prohibited to have any placards or political messages on that stretch of sidewalk. So began a landmark legal challenge that would end up before the nine justices, argued by a 31 year old lawyer with a coffee colored beard and a scruffy ponytail, Sebastian Graber, the husband of that sign toting appellee, activist Mary Grace. Quote I was tickled when they came down with a uni- unanimous verdict, Grace said of the 1983 Supreme Court decision that declared that the off limits rule on the sidewalk. Was a violation of constitutional protections for free speech. For Mr. Graber, it launched a career that would bring him into many ven- venues in cases over civil and constitutional rights, including defending anti war activists, uh, the Reverend Daniel Berrigan, former Pentagon Papers leaker Daniel Ellsberg, for various protests in and around Washington. Mr. Graber, who died August 4th at the age of 70, never came before the Supreme Court again. His win in United States versus Grace stands as a rare example of the justices deciding a case that indirectly involved themselves. A bit of sidewalk might seem trivial, said Tony Morrow, a senior writer covering the Supreme Court for ALM, formerly American Lawyer Media, but it was an important reaffirmation of the public forum and its role in the American democracy. I could just summarize the rest of the case. Involved a 1949 decision by Congress to ban expressive conduct on Supreme Court grounds in 1980, a Roman Catholic missionary named Thaddeus Zwicky was told to leave when he was trying to distribute copies of articles about judicial misconduct in the courts. Zwicky then went directly to Mr. Graver's law office in Alexandria, Virginia, because it was the closest law office. And there was Grace, and she heard it, and she decided to hold up her placard. It was really wonderful. And I'll just tell you that uh, during the course of the argument, Mr. Graber unpacked some pretty novel arguments. A Washington Post newspaper box on the sidewalk right in front of the Supreme Court, for example, he said, that's in violation of the ban on dissemination of printed material. Justice Rehnquist said, you can't be serious, but he said, I am. Because I didn't write this statute, he said. The literal terms of the statute prohibit any device designed or adapted to bring into notice any organization, any movement or a party, including the truck that was delivering Pepsis to the United States Supreme Court, nine to nothing, free speech won. those were the good old days when we had a court that actually cared about the Constitution, and I just want to remember Mr. Graber before I turn it over to Mr. Napolitano because I know you would love this guy if you knew more about him.
2: yeah, this is the guy uh, type of guy that would defend people like me back in the back in the day um, so uh, we all, all activists owe him some debt of gratitude for his did. work. We remember him well. All right. So, um, we do have a guest here in the studio. I just have two quick things before we get to uh, Sean Donovan from the Department of Community Care here in Northampton. One is for the three devout followers of this segment, uh, the Merrick Garland Watch. Where's Merrick? Um, we don't have a whole lot of news this week. Um, the Last time that I was on the air, uh, the raid on Mar-a-Lago had uh, recently occurred. Uh, The investigation is clearly still going on. Um, Not nearly anything as uh, uh, abrupt as that has occurred, uh, at least from the part of the DOJ. Uh, It is worth mentioning that in the news today, uh, it was reported that Carl Palladino, a Republican in New York, called for the execution of Garland. Uh, after uh, he after he signed off on the raid on Mar-a-Lago, um, so not a whole lot from you, for the execution. The of execution, driver. yes, yes. He said um, he 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 walked it back today and said that it, his comments were quote facetious. He was on a Breitbart show, but he said that quote Merrick Garland shouldn't just be impeached; he should be executed. Uh, and incidentally, nobody in the Republican Party has. Uttered anything about that uh, about that comment? In so, condemnation of that yeah, comment? Yeah, right. Certainly. So um, I would guess Liz Cheney might. She might. She might. I'm just gonna. I don't know what that means. But yeah, Jeff, continue on. Sorry, thank you. It's quite all right. Um, the other thing that I'll make uh, just because I realize that I have this this platform of a radio show, I was reading the Gazette this morning, and to my horror, there was this op-ed piece sort of celebrating the, uh, the, the lessening of protections for COVID of uh, students in schools. Um, schools are largely not gonna be testing. They're certainly not gonna be mandating masks. Um, I know at my institution at UMass Amherst, they're basically getting rid of testing if you wanna get tested. Um, if you don't have symptoms, you have to work it out with your insurance company or pay 25 bucks to get a, a PCR test. Um, and this sort of ghoulish, article in the Gazette today, this op-ed in the Gazette today, um, entitled The Never-Ending Northampton School Mask Mandate. Um, If you read it, I think it'll seem to you like a physical manifestation of COVID itself had come up with this column, because um, while people certainly seem to think that um, things are returning to normal, that they they may want things to return to normal, uh, keep in mind that over 200,000 people have died just in the last 12 months from COVID. Um, we have um, other pandemics, or at least other health emergencies that are on the rise as well. Uh, and um, I've sort of given up on protections for adults, but it seems particularly draconian and ghoulish for people to celebrate the compulsory attendance of students. Um, and. The lessening of basically any protections for them um, to um, breathe clean air, breathe air in their in their classrooms that aren't contained with uh, contaminated with COVID nineteen. So uh, I think there'll be more on that later, um, not today. But um, let me get to much more positive news and our our valued guest here in the studio, Sean Donovan, is the implementation director of the Department of Community Care here in Northampton. Um, And Sean, welcome to the show. Um, I want to ask you, first of all, um, as I do with most folks here, just let's take baby steps. Tell us what the Department of Community
4: Care is and um, and what your role is there. Sure. Um, Thank you so much, Jeff, and and everyone in the studio for having me here today. Um, I will just name that um, while we're called the Department of Community Care, we are actually part of the Department of Health and Human Services in the city of Northampton. So that um, that developed in, in in May formally, and I can I can elaborate more on why that's important and, and why that has um, given me a lot of support in my role. Um, but for now, I'll, I'll just say the Department of Community Care as part of DHHS uh, is something that was first um, named and, and called for by the Northampton Policing Review Commission in their report in early 2021, and it was envisioned as a uh, a way to house a, another first responder team and develop that resource. Uh, that's not police, fire, or paramedics. Um, that could be a team to respond to uh, people in need of emotional support, and emotional distress, to perhaps deal with folks that are, are houseless in a non-enforcement way. Um, we are also thinking about ways of Um, mediating conflicts of space, uh, like public and other space that uh, could work outside of legal means or enforcement means, rather. Um, And just to have another element of how to support people in relationships when they break down, whether that's in public or otherwise, um, so that things don't get as escalated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so right now, with the work of the Department of Community Care, it's essentially like a division, I guess, of the Department of Health and Human Services. So we're we're trying to work with this language to. I know it might be misleading, <laughs> uh, but one thing I I wanted to share. I,
1: I personally think community care is a great title for yeah. such a department. Yeah.
4: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it um it does, um you know it, it speaks pretty broadly um about what people can do for each other and and I think you know some of that care belongs in the city and some of that is um, maybe not something the city can actually provide for. Um, community care is something you know, that goes way beyond the city. But in terms of what we're focusing on, um, we're really looking to be um, eventually a a dispatched first responder team that's going to be using different practices and perhaps like slightly different values about how to support um, some of our overburdened public safety teams, but also to maybe provide resources for people in distress that we've, we've never had here before. So we're not looking to replicate Um, co-response where social workers go out with police. We're not looking to replicate um, our crisis uh, teams that, um, you know, people are are trained clinical social workers are really looking to develop a team of people that has their own significant lived experience and maybe has demonstrated ways in which they've supported people in their, their family, their community. Um, Not necessarily by way of uh, of a master's level credentials, because we know like when we're trying to hire people, um, to require such high levels of education, um, might also be, um, cutting out a large segment of the population that doesn't have access to that education, which is a lot of non-white people, people with disabilities. Um, we know, or maybe in the show you've talked about it, like our educational system has a lot of biases. And so we're trying to make sure... That when we're able to hire our first responders, um, in this case, our community responders, you know, we're going to really get the best candidates that might not fit the traditional classification, but are going to bring a lot of skills to these, these roles. So mm. that's, that's some pieces of what we're working on uh, in brief. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, I'm with uh, Sean Donovan, who's the implementation director for the Department of community care here in Northampton. Um just one question before we uh, we get we, we take a break. Um, your title is implementation director.
4: Can you elaborate about about that? Sure. Yeah. So I was hired um, in late December. So um, pretty much at the start of 2022 is when I, I got on got started in, with my work. Um, so I was hired into this position to really be the point person for developing this model before we we hire people into these roles. And so I've also been a a person to interact with a range of stakeholders, too, from, you know, people at the Manor Community Center, people on the street, upwards to our police chief, fire chief, the head of dispatch, and a lot of our social services. So I'm trying to be um, a nexus of communicating with the community about a lot of diverse needs. Um, We're also working with some outside consultants that have a lot of knowledge on uh, pushing the boundaries of public safety mm-hmm. and community engagement on another side, as well as outside evaluators to hopefully get a, a clear plan in place to to know if we're on the right path with our work and to be accountable to what our visions are. Um and so I'm holding this role as um, you know director for now, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm helping to craft along with um, Commissioner O'Leary in the health department and deputy commissioner Michelle Ferry, you know, how we're actually navigating into a live department in the year to come. So
2: Okay. Yeah. All right, we'll be uh, right back. You're listening to the Good Works segment on the Afternoon Buzz here on WHMP.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
1: do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the
0: move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, corporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news
1: is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass.
6: Hey, everyone. It's Ariane, the co-pilot from The Cambridge Connection. Hold on. Wait a minute. Where's Gordon? This is his commercial. Oh, well, I guess we're here to talk to our listeners about Cambridge Credit Counseling, the company in partnership with your new show, The Cambridge Connection. So what shall we tell them? Hold on, Ariane. It's Tina Marie. I think we should remind everyone that asking for financial wellness advice on student loans Buying a home or even paying off credit card debt isn't anything to be embarrassed about. It takes a lot of courage to ask for help. You got it, Tina Marie. And Cambridge Credit Counseling offers so much more than just helping to manage credit card debt. That's why Gordon is hosting the Cambridge Connection radio show every week. It's all about empowering people to pick up the phone and ask for help.
0: Hey, Ariane, is it my turn now?
6: (laughs) Oops, sorry, Gordy. We're out of time, but if listeners need some financial wellness advice, there's always time to call 1-800-CAMBRIDGE. That's 1-800-CAMBRIDGE.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
2: And this is Jeff Napolitano with Buzz Eisenberg, and more importantly, with Sean Donovan, who is the Implementation Director for uh, the Department of Community Care uh, in Northampton. Um, so there's an event coming up uh, that uh, you are co-sponsoring with a bunch of other organizations here in Northampton. I want to make sure that we talk about this quite a bit. It's going to take place um, Wednesday, this upcoming Wednesday. Um, do you want to tell us about it? It's entitled Mosaic, uh, and it uh, includes a, a film screening and a panel. What? What? Why should people show up for this
4: yeah great question um yeah so we do have this event coming up uh that will be split between pulaski park um at 240 main street i believe and then the academy of music right next door at 274 main street i think people mostly know where those uh yeah if you found pulaski <laughs> park, you probably are. found the <laughs> academy of music yeah yeah and so the the event at the academy is is what was our anchor event um which is showing the film mosaic which was um produced by um the The group uh, at UMass Amherst looking at um, public health inequities in, uh, like from the public health school, public health inequities in Western Massachusetts and leaders of color that are really looking for culturally relevant ways to support people that are are not getting the support they need. Um, It's a short but really powerful film of 23 minutes. Some people might have seen it during its uh, tour of the valley in uh, April and May. Uh, This is the first time it's going to be shown downtown. Um, so that's one reason to come. It's also in the beautiful Academy. We also have three great panelists afterwards to talk more about expanding the conversation around public public health and racial equity and creative ways of supporting our community. Um, preceding that event in Pulaski Park, we also have um, our... Um, our partner in community action who's working on the resilience hub project, which is also a bigger conversation. We might not have time to go into now um, to host a resource hub a resource fair in the park and Mana community kitchen is going to likely provide us with some great food um, at six between the two events too. Um, and that's a chance for us to just, you know, have, have the park as a place for people to interact and, and learn about some resources The department of human Health and Human Services will be there, um, sharing COVID tests and harm reduction information and and free Narcan, along with a bunch of other resources. So we thought combining these two events would really demonstrate some of the things that are in the film, like how can we come together as a community um, and share resources in a a public way. Um, So so please attend if you can. I know for our future events, which we have in the fall, we wanna have some live streams so people who who can't make it can also participate. Um, But yeah, I hope people can can come. It starts at four o'clock in the park. Um, and and the, tickets cost how much money? For tickets this? cost nothing because it's free. All so right. thank you for. Yeah. For Price <laughs> is right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and uh, I guess one more thing I want to say about this event and the ones we're going to share in the future is that, you know, while my role is a lot about institutional changes, I think we also need cultural changes to really make these institutional changes um. The most effective. So, just giving people more expansive views on what caring for each other is like, um, what some of the struggles people might experience based on their race or disability or or class, is a huge part of I think how we we start to care for each other in a different way. So, all right, uh, that sounds great. Um,
2: all right, so that's Wednesday. Um, so, coming back to the work uh, that you do uh, in the in the Department of Community Care. Um, during the break, we actually had a a bunch of questions about, you know, logistics. How would this work? You know, how does this affect the fire and police department? And uh, just to to point out that this, the the work that you're doing, the department that you're sort of developing is um, done so with the goal of eventually being able to dispatch people into the community as sort of an an alternative to or complementary to, you know, the fire and the police department. And I'm wondering if, you know, I know that things are still in the early stages, but if you have a sense of how that might, what that might look like, um, and
4: you know, how, how, how that, when somebody calls 911, how is that
2: going to change, for instance? Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. So um, luckily I've had some conversations with our public safety team already, our leadership, and we'll continue to have some in the, in the fall and beyond um, about how dispatch functions. So it's in, in Northampton, we have a centralized dispatch, meaning like they are the hub for all of our public safety. Some, some communities have it separate between fire and police. And so that's great already that we have that centralized dispatch, which started 21 years ago. Um, and so I will continue to work with dispatch, but we, I did some sit alongs in the, um, late winter, early spring, to really understand like, what do dispatchers do? <laughs> what does it look like? Mm-hmm. And, and so, Uh, um, they're really the pivot point of deciding where calls go. And so we, we will be working a lot in collaboration with our dispatch leadership and team, um, in other communities like in um, Eugene through the CAHOOTS program, and actually my coworker Michelle and I had to had a chance to visit Portland Street Response in June. Mm-hmm. We learned a lot about like the decision trees, the things they developed in in cohorts, meaning like in combination with the new uh, first responders and the current public safety leadership about how dispatch decides, you know, where calls get relegated. Mm-hmm. And so it is it is a collaboration so that we can make you know, space for our new first responder team through the Department of Community Care, um, and make sure that we have enough of a uh, shared trust of each other to to know when to when to delegate. So we're I in just the, think, Sean,
1: uh, I, I want to emphasize for listeners, there is a lot
4: of training involved, and
1: you understand that, and all of your colleagues understand that. There's going to be an intense
4: uh, amount of training, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have, um, we're going to do some training, uh, you know, that we're still developing within our own leadership and public safety in the city, but we also have some outside trainers that are going to help us, uh, develop skills around supporting people in emotional distress. Like if they're hearing voices or feeling suicidal, um, when people are maybe doing harm, like how to be accountable, have it hold them accountable, but compassionate. Uh, we have some racial Equity trainings in store, as well as um, emergency medical response. So that our while our responders are not um, going to be trained to be paramedics, we want them to have some basic understanding of um, you know medical first aid and response. So so if they're the first on the scene, they know how to how to take care of that. And we are trying to figure out how we'll respond singularly, like as an independent of the other um, public safety divisions. And if we'll ever have like a, a response where we're together in parallel, how that's going to work.
1: It's comforting, similar. Jeff, isn't yeah. it? That there, there's a redefinition of the role of law enforcement at the same time as there's an outreach to help people who are really in distress. Right.
2: Yeah. But, I mean, the one phrase that um, Sean mentioned when we talked about this department was supporting and support for one another, which is, I have to say, refreshing for, uh, you know, when we talk about things like public safety. So, Sean Donovan, the Implementation Director from the Department of Community Care, Heron Northampton, thank you so much, and everybody show up Wednesday, Pulaski Park, 4 o'clock, and then 6.30 at the Academy Music.
1: And we often throw out terms like good luck, but seriously, <laughs> good luck. It's an important thing you're involved in, and we're all grateful.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's yeah, our pleasure. Jeff, it. thank you again. Yep. We're going to be back with Senator Eric Lesser, who is a candidate for the governor here in Massachusetts, right after these messages. Stay with us.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
6: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A multi-car accident forced the closure of a portion of Route 116 this afternoon. According to the Amherst Police, Route 116 was closed from Meadow Street to the Sunderland Town Line. One car flipped over and was on its roof in the woods. Two people were taken to Bay State Medical Center. Amherst Police and Fire, as well as Massachusetts State Police, responded to the scene. The campaign to repeal the new driver's license law, which is set to open up license access to immigrants without legal status in Massachusetts, says it hit a milestone this week and turned in the requisite number of signatures to print the repeal question on the November ballot. But Secretary of State Bill Galvin's office contested that Thursday and said the signatures were probably not all actually filed yet. The law is set to take effect July 1, 2023, when all Massachusetts residents of legal age, regardless of immigration status, will be eligible to apply for standard driver's licenses. Congressman Jim McGovern wrapped up a two-day tour of over a dozen farms in western and central Mass. McGovern said he heard the struggles farmers face regarding climate change and the uncertain economic forces at play today.
0: Agriculture is an important part of our economy, but just as importantly, food that
2: is grown locally and grown and raised in a responsible manner deserves our support.
6: Congressman McGovern says that the upcoming agriculture bill, which will dole out billions in farm subsidies, should be used to support the kind of sustainable, locally focused farming. He sees in the valley
0: sunshine, scattered clouds, and warm this afternoon. A high of 86 to 90. Variable clouds tonight. Evening temperatures in the 70s. Overnight low of 56 to 62. Warm again here tomorrow. Sun cloud mix. Chance for an afternoon shower. A high of 86 to 90. Sun and clouds in mid 80s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis. 101.5 WHMP. The nurses at Bay State Franklin Medical Center have a new contract, GCC has a new president, and the Greenfield City Council has censured one of its own. We'll discuss all of this with Roxanne Wiedergartner, the mayor of Greenfield, it's Mayor's Monday on WHMP, starting Monday at nine o'clock. Bill
5: Newman, weekdays at nine. And again at five. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Cabbage keeps for months. Corn is good for a day or two. And basil, make that pesto pronto. There's so much farm-fresh food all around you. So stop at a farm stand, go to the farmer's market, and look for the bright yellow Local Hero label at stores and restaurants. You live among some of the best farmland in the world. The bright yellow Local Hero label says, this food is farm-fresh. Use Sisa's Local Hero guide at buylocalfood.org to find local
0: food close by. Ace flips burgers at her day job as she tries
6: to outrun the shadows of the past she shares with her dad, who spends his days watching game shows from his lawn chair on the moon. Chester Theatre Company presents To the Moon and Back, a world premiere starring Tara Franklin and Ray Burke as a daughter and father with a history as murky as the dark side of the moon.
5: To the Moon and Back through August 21st at Chester Theatre Company. Get tickets now at chestertheater.org.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. get your hair.
1: I am very grateful. This is our second visit with Senator Eric Lesser as a candidate for the Lieutenant uh, Governor's position here in Massachusetts. Hello, Eric. Hey, Buzz. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing great, and I'm uh, just grateful that you uh, found the time out of your uh busy schedule to um to uh appear on our show i know you you guys had quite a session ending in early august um (laughs) with marathon stuff going on and i just want to touch on that uh briefly You, you accomplished so much there was climate stuff and and extending uh the roe act and um a bunch of stuff, but I don't think you reached that economic development bill, which you had talked to me about when we were on air last. So, what's the status of that?
3: Yeah, so it was a kind of wild and crazy uh, wrap up to the session. Uh, I think I left the state house about nine nine thirty in the morning on august 1 after the july 31 kind of overnight marathon just but, like uh, college right yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah there's nothing like a deadline to force uh, to force everybody in a room to to make a deal you know uh, but yeah just a couple of big things that we did get done first a really history-making climate bill uh, that the Washington Post actually recently did a feature on saying is among the most progressive in the entire country. I've got to tell Uh, you, Eric, that
1: made me so proud of Massachusetts. I mean, also at the same time, we have the president sign the Inflation Reduction Act and all of that climate protection. But i was so proud of you guys for passing that That deal. All
3: right, well, we appreciate that. I mean, you know, just actually, what's exciting, Buzz, is the combination, of course, of the federal legislation that just passed, plus what we've just done in Massachusetts, is going to create significantly more electric vehicle capacity across across the state. It's going to dramatically expand our solar hookups uh, and a very important and transformational investment in offshore wind. Joe Biden was actually in Somerset uh, in Southeastern Mass a few weeks back, really heralding the Massachusetts wind potential where we're described as the Saudi Arabia of wind. Uh, our coastline has some of the best wind in the entire world. So the investments that we're making, the the changes that we made there are, are going to be a very, very big deal. So there was a lot in that bill. We can get into more specifics, but a few other big things we did. Uh, we did a patch to the Supreme Court Bruin decision, which was the, um, the concealed carry and a firearms uh, bill, uh, the horrible, horrible Supreme Court decision that invalidated the New York, uh, the New York gun safety law. Uh, actually, in Justice Thomas's concurring opinion, he pointed to a few states, in particular Massachusetts, as states that were vulnerable uh, to seeing their law overturned because we, it was written in a similar way to New York. So we went in and we patched that. Uh, we also, of course, did a very important uh, protection for reproductive rights. We passed a shield law for providers uh, who might have to provide uh, reproductive right, reproductive health care to women who are now going to travel from out of state. Uh, we did uh, put in significantly more funding for our reproductive health centers uh, around the state. Uh, we got sports betting done, which was a long process. Also, it hasn't gotten a lot of attention buzz, but we did a really important mental health package. I was so
1: happy with that yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah,
3: one of the most important and, and, and biggest expansions in mental health coverage ever in our state. Uh, just a, a couple highlights from this. We are now gonna require insurance companies to fully cover once a year a mental health uh, check, Uh, kind of the equivalent to how you get a physical at a doctor's office once a year covered by insurance. We're now going to have the same thing for, for mental health care. And we put a lot of new requirements in to make sure that there's parity in coverage between mental health and, uh, and physical health care and how insurance reimburses. But I'm not hiding it. As you pointed out, we, <laughs> we didn't get the economic development bill done. Uh, there were a lot of moving pieces there, but it's not, it's, it's alive, it just hasn't passed yet. And one of the things I think we do need to do is we need to reconvene. Uh, even though the July 31 deadline has passed, there's precedent for us extending it. We did it in 2020 during COVID the July 31 deadline is is relatively arbitrary, frankly. Right. The legislature can vote to change it, and I do think, given the stakes of what's in the economic development bill, including the tax relief and the funding for our hospitals, the funding for our early childhood centers, uh, we we've got to come back and just and get it done. There's
1: so much, but very briefly, I think for listeners who may not know, there's this. Uh, I think it's 62 F's limits to tax revenue um and uh, so that could be money coming back to
3: taxpayers here in massachusetts right yeah so there's a a fairly obscure law called 62f just as you mentioned that was passed in 1986 uh by referendum which requires uh basically requires state spending or state government spending to stay in pace with wage growth uh, and if the uh, overall state spending goes above uh, the growth in wages, the difference is returned in one-time rebates. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether that's a good policy or a good idea. I mean, that, that's sort of a different conversation. But the reality of it is, is this law is on the books. It's been on the books for over 30 years. And uh, I do think we have an obligation to follow the law. Uh, we The legislature was not notified of this trigger. Uh, because it's a fairly complicated formula that triggers the the law coming into place,
1: and people until, forgot about it as well.
3: Right? Yeah. I mean, we, which is crazy, but you know, the Department of Revenue notified the legislature a few days before the deadline, um, and it and it we had to account for it because it's it's potentially over three billion dollars uh, that's going to be uh, returned, and the auditor we're waiting for the state auditor to finalize those numbers. Anyway, long story short. The money will go out automatically, uh, but I do think that we need to uh, reconvene to figure all that out, how it fits in with the economic development bill, and then get the economic development bill done. But I, you know, some people, others have talked about, you know, suspending the 62F or or changing it in some way. I do not support that because I think you're the law. Well, Yeah, it's the law. You're changing the rules kind of in the middle of the game. So. Well, the
1: other thing is, because I do want to move on to, your, to the race for Lieutenant Governor, but I just wanted to ask you one more thing. My understanding, what I've read in the Globe, is that there's something shy of $2.5 billion in American Rescue Plan money still lying around waiting for our legislature to do something about it. Is right,
3: that right? Uh, well, we we're we're allocating a significant amount of of those ARPA money or American Rescue Plan money in the economic development bill that's pending. Once that's done and out, there will be about a billion dollars left. And the the feeling was and the consensus was that it should really be the next governor working with the legislature uh, to determine that last tranche. Uh, Because if you remember, Buzz, we've already allocated uh, about $2 billion of the ARPA aid money, and a large portion of that has actually not even gone out the door yet, even though it's been appropriated and sent to the agency. So we're trying to be deliberative about this and and be careful about keeping track of where the funds are going. And the other thing we got to remember, Buzz, is, you know, there are other variants circulating. You know, the money was given to help cushion and recover from the effects of COVID. We do need to keep a close eye on the virus. We need to keep a close eye on where our economy is heading. There's a lot of danger signs in the economy right now. So for all those reasons, I think this iterative approach, we did one tranche, we have another another tranche that's that's about to get finalized, and then there'll be a final one uh, that we'll do, um, you know, sometime after that. I think is the right way to go. But on top of the ARPA money, Buzz, is um, our own state revenues are are high above benchmark, and the and the 62F law is not about the ARPA money. It's about the state's own tax collections, which are far above where they've historically been, and that would be the portion that would come back in rebates.
1: These are the kind of problems I like to see. These, you know, (laughs) there's extra money to do wonderful things. And we have a legislature that really uh, is progressive and uh, does care about things like climate and women's reproductive rights and the like. But I do want to turn our attention, Senator Eric Lesser, to your uh, candidacy for the Democratic nomination for lieutenant governor here in Massachusetts. You've had a couple of... um, Debates with your, uh, with the other two candidates um, for the position. And I guess it's a bit of a softball question, but um, after watching and listening to those two debates, how do you distinguish yourself from your two candidates? I, I should say their name, Dr. Tammy Gavea, uh, she is, uh, her focus is public health, she's a representative since 2018, and Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll, who's um, who has been mayor of Salem, I think since 2006, and you've been a state senator uh, representing uh, Longmeadow in that region since, uh, I think, 2014. So, how do you distinguish yourself?
3: Well, thanks for the question, Buzz, and it's good to be back on your show. Uh, just a couple things. First, we, we've got great candidates in our Democratic primary and certainly uh, no intention to take anything away from anybody else, but just a couple things that distinguish me. Uh, first, I'm the only candidate from Western Mass. Uh, not only am I the only candidate running for Lieutenant Governor from Western Mass, I'm the only candidate for any existing statewide office who's running from Western Mass, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Auditor, Secretary of State, Attorney General, not a single other candidate is from outside 495 and i think we can all appreciate that it's important to have regional perspective uh, in that executive team uh, and many of our most successful recent governors um have understood that charlie baker having karen Polito from shrewsbury deval patrick having tim murray from worcester bill weld <clears throat> having paul salucci paul salucci having jane swift from williamstown of course so that's an important perspective uh, and I think is going to be important for our region to have that seat at the table. Another big dis- distinguishing uh, factor is I'm the only candidate with high-level federal experience. Uh, I worked for President Obama for four years. I spent several years as the assistant to David Axelrod, uh, where I worked about 40 feet from the front door of the Oval Office, and then I worked for the President's Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, during the response to the great recession Um, and then finally uh, just as we've just been talking about buzz uh, i'm the only candidate who's been in the rooms in the in the state senate at the state house working through and negotiating some of the biggest highest stakes pack legislative packages We've done in recent years, uh, three economic development bills that have totaled billions of dollars in investment and uh, job training and, and and infrastructure across the state, uh, the five year extension of, of Deval Patrick's life sciences initiative, and then really important issues like North South rail. Up and down the pioneer valley the valley flyer connecting into ct rail into new haven in new york and of course the west east rail which we are getting closer and closer to having shovels in the ground for you know i'm going to really be laser focused on those issues and those are really high stakes for western mass right now
1: i think that it's really high stakes for western mass it's also high stakes for massachusetts because of what the implications for the climate would be if we could just
3: get that rail service Exactly. I mean, the West East Rail project is actually very popular in Boston, and part of the reason is it would be the biggest, as you said, Buzz, the biggest climate uh, change project in our state's history, taking thousands of cars off the road. It would reduce congestion, which is strangling the greater Boston area right now, and it would help create thousands of units of really good housing oriented towards transit that's walkable and sustainable and affordable for people. Our state is becoming impossible to live in. Rents are going up by double digits. You see the Zillow listings and it makes your skin crawl. I mean, families can't afford it. Uh, we've got to connect people to the job centers and to places to live and give people the ability to, to be connected to homes they can afford. So, uh,
1: Senator, I have to ask this question because... Um, I think I'd be remiss not to you and uh, State Representative Dr. Tammy Govea wrote, you authored, co-authored a letter to the chair of the Massachusetts Democratic Party, Gus Bickford, Um, and you were talking about how campaigns are funded and in particular addressing uh,
3: one particular super PAC. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so one of our opponents, uh, Salem Mayor Kim Driscoll, has a super PAC currently spending money on her behalf, massive sums, really unprecedented for a lieutenant governor race, and the funders are principally uh, people with longstanding Republican ties. In fact, the person who's been described as really the ringleader of the effort, a gentleman named Chris Collins, who's a large real estate developer in the Boston area is actually on the board of the Republican Governors Association and has been a financial supporter of Mitch McConnell and the National Republican Party. This is a dangerous amount of interference by Republicans in a Democratic primary, and Mayor Driscoll, frankly, has not explained to people why she would accept support or why she would be affiliated or associated, frankly, with national Republicans with those kinds of backgrounds spending these kinds of sums.
1: Well, she has been on our show. She's scheduled to be on the show, I think, in a week and a half, and I certainly will ask her about that. We, unfortunately, have to, uh, you have to get uh, on the road, I know, and we have to uh, get to our break. But, Eric Lesser, it's always so great to talk to you. Uh, Best of luck in your race, and thank you for joining us.
3: Hey, thanks so much, Buzz.
1: I'll see you soon. I hope so. All right. Mm -hmm. Folks, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Liz Cheney. Right after the break, Uh, Dan will join me. Come right back.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The nurses at Bay State Franklin Medical Center have a new contract. GCC has a new president, and the Greenfield City Council has censured one of its own. We'll discuss all of this with Roxanne Wiedergartner, the mayor of Greenfield. It's Mayor's Monday on WHMP, starting Monday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP News,
5: Information, and the Arts. This Tuesday, the Pines Theater at Look Park in Florence will be transported back in time to the 90s. For Performance 32, Nevermind the 90s, a live tribute musical fundraiser. All your favorite local hero bands will be performing as their favorite bands from the 90s. Spanish for Hitchhiking as Pearl Jam, Winter Pills as The Sundays, Soul Magnets as Miss Lauren Hill, Sun Parade as Elliot and Maya Diggs as Whitney Houston, Problems with Dragons as Nirvana, Bunnies as They Might Be Giants, and so many more. Each year in August, the Northampton Arts Council and the parent-teacher organizations of Northampton's public school system join forces to raise funds for arts enrichment in the schools and our community for the premier end-of-the-summer musical party. Performance 32, never mind the 90s. This Tuesday, starting at 4 p.m., Pines Theatre, Look Park. Tickets available in person at State Street Food Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in Florence. Or buy online, hamparts.org. It's the
2: 14th annual Tom Kazenzi Driving for the Cure charity golf tournament to support Dana-Farber Cancer Institute on September 27th at Twin Hills Country Club. To get involved, visit us online at tomkazenzidrivingforthecure.com and together we can make a difference. Right
6: in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton.
5: Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of
1: social
6: and volunteer opportunities, as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a
5: member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place.
6: We're about engaging in place. This place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413 341 0160.
0: A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 1015, 1400, and 1240. WHMP. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg 1015 WHMP
1: Welcome back to this Afternoon Buzz um, I, like many other people have been carefully uh, attentive to Liz Cheney's behavior over the course of this past year uh, since her vote during the second um, impeachment proceeding to impeach um, Donald J. Trump and her co chair as a Republican of the January 6th committee's work. Um, I read a piece um, today by Richard Escal, Absolute Zero, a newsletter from Richard Escal. Um, and I just want to um, read from it because I think it's pretty profound. It's uh, titled uh, Liz Cheney and Trump. Two Faces of American Totalitarianism. This Cheney's electoral defeat is not the fall of an American hero, as many people say. The good that she has done on the January 6th committee is almost certainly being done for less than admirable purposes. Again, this is Richard Escal. To ignore that fact is to overlook another front in the war on democracy. This Cheney is one face of creeping totalitarianism that has been eroding, eroding American democracy for decades. And it wasn't in great shape when it started. Her bitter feud with Donald Trump is best understood as part of an internal battle, currently raging, within this country's anti-democratic forces. Any doubts on that score should be allayed by the television commercial her father made on her behalf, where the draft-dodging elder Dick Cheney called Trump a coward and said that his daughter was, quote, standing up for the truth, well... Being lectured on bravery and truth by Dick Cheney is like getting sailing lessons from the captain of the Exxon Exxon Valdez, says Escal. Besides, what exactly did Liz Cheney sacrifice with his latest turn? Her congressional career was over the moment that Trump turned against her, which was well before the committee's work began. As a senior staffer in the Bush-Cheney administration, Liz Cheney served a president who did what Donald Trump could not do, That president stole an election, albeit using a more genteel technique of judicial corruption. That administration's body count, that administration's list of war crimes, that far exceeded Trump's. Although that could certainly change should Trump return to power, he acknowledges. The sins of the father should never be visited upon the daughter, but Cheney the younger, she actively helped that administration lie its way into war. An act of deception that undermines one of democracy's most essential building blocks, truth. She was still pushing lies nine years later. She was part of a national security team that secretly and illegally spied on millions of American citizens and others around the world. The Patriot Act was her baby. Throughout her career, Liz Cheney has been a tireless advocate for war. She has staunchly opposed reductions in military aggression, often at the expense of the truth. As an added affront to the MSNBC crowd, which seems newly infatuated, with the intelligence services cheney worked closely with her father as he overruled and as he intimidated career intelligence analysts and she attacked the fbi's agents at a time when entrepreneurs were selling votive candles featuring his former director robert muller democracy well until recently cheney helped lead a political party that systematically undermined american uh, democracy she specialized in voter suppression when few were, in gerrymandering, in caging, in other illegal schemes. Yes, illegal. She actively participated in the war on a democracy by, for example, opposing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, defending the GOP gerrymandering laws that would obstruct poor and minority voting. Cheney also called upon Trump's Attorney General William Barr to have the Justice Department investigate the environmental groups like NRDC, in specific, Sea Change, and the Sierra Club, all for lawful speech. All that she said was damaging America and should be investigated. It's really important that we keep perspective. Liz Cheney, what she's doing is fine. The Liz that nobody knows, well, the media's memory of the anti-democratic, pro-Trump Liz Cheney, that's an erasure. It's like a Stalin-era efficiency kind of erasure. It wasn't that long ago that she was one of Trump's fiercest defenders. She didn't hesitate to attack one of democracy's basic principles, equality before the law, on Trump's behalf. Quote, we had people that are at the highest level of our law enforcement saying that they're going to stop a duly elected president of the United States. That sounds an awful lot like a coup and it could well be treason, said Liz Cheney. So let's just keep perspective, folks. I think that Escal reminds us of who Liz Cheney really was and is and shall be. I love that she's standing up right now with the January 6th committee, but let's not forget who she is. That's my message today for Friday. Dan, I know you're chomping at the bit to respond. You're going to have to wait till Monday. Mm -hmm. I guess I do. Yes, he does. Have a great weekend, Dan. Have a great weekend, everybody else. I got the last word in, Dan. Yeah, this time.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz I didn't Eisenberg. think it was possible for me to be an alcoholic. 5-W-H-M-T. I was 24 with a good
6: career. I thought that alcoholism only happened to middle-aged men and celebrities. I thought something else was making me sick, shaky, and afraid to face people. Then I found AA and discovered it wasn't something else. It was alcohol. AA helped me find a new life. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up.
5: Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413 or visit westernmassaa.org.
6: Do you love fishing, swimming, or boating, but hate the trash you find? Do you want to help protect clean water and wildlife? Whether you live near the Deerfield River, Millers, Westfield, Chicopee, or Connecticut, your local river needs you. Join the Connecticut River Conservancy and help us protect our rivers. Our rivers belong to all of us, and each of us has a responsibility. Together we can make news
0: and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton, -Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield, Northampton radio group station.